Hi, my name is Ruben, and I'm part of the teen ministry. <laughs> I'm so proud of our teen ministry. Man, this is awesome. Um, you know, a few weeks ago, I uh, had announced that we we're going to be taking a, just a reevaluation time for our worship ministry and uh, kind of figuring out how to approach our worship on Sundays as a church and regards to our music and stuff like that. And so um, uh, this was like a tryout right here. You know what I'm saying? Uh, but anyway, I just I'm so proud of our, our team ministry leading us in worship and just their ability, the gifts that God has given them, that they're using them for God and his glory. I'm so encouraged by that. Um, just to clarify on the catalyst retreat that my friend Garen uh, announced here, uh, the reason why he was bringing that up is because this week is the last week for early registration for the catalyst retreat. So singles. If you want to go to Catalyst Retreat, please sign up as soon as possible at the website there, okay? Um, we have a visiting couple that used to be here in the GLB ministry back in the day, Julius and Janice Carter from the Riverside ministry. I don't know where they are right there. Go ahead and stand on up. Visiting us here from Riverside. Um, we're going to get into the Bible today. I hope that you're encouraged and excited and ready for that. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for this time to be able to worship you, to be able to consider your word. And uh, Father, we want to be more like your son, Jesus. Father, we're coming in here heavy hearted. We're coming in here, uh, some of us confused, upset, tired. Uh, Some of us excited, happy, joyful, whatever it is, God, whatever range of emotions we're in, I pray that we can uh, during this time, really focus on your word and allow your word to speak to our hearts that we would leave here inspired, challenged, uh, but wanting to really bring glory to you, Father, because without you, we're nothing. And um, we're so thankful for what we have in you. We do say a special prayer for our sister in the singles ministry, Julia Johnson, her mom. Uh, her cancer just came back, and uh, she will be having kidney surgery and cancer treatment. And uh, Father, I pray for Julia, I pray for her mom, I pray that um, the surgery would be successful, and I just put the situation before you. Father, we know that there are, there are many more health uh, situations in our congregation that are happening, I pray that, and we know that you know everything, and so I, we put all these uh, um, situations before you, knowing that you are in control, and you will work uh, your way. Father, we love you, in Jesus' name, amen. Do you have your Bibles? All right. We're closing out our series uh, today, uh, Unlimited. We're talking about God's nature. We've been reading Psalm 145, and uh, a couple of weeks ago we read about in the book of Hosea, right? And we talked about how God uh, commanded this prophet Hosea to marry an adulterous woman, and because that's how he is towards the Israelites. And, and, uh, and then last week, um, Greg preached the word, and I heard it was great, and... Uh, talked about being rich in love and how we how God is like that and therefore we are to be like that with one another and uh, we're studying out God's nature it was really cool this past week you know I hope that you've read Psalm 145 on your own if you've been uh, if you've been with us here for the past few weeks that you've maybe studied out in your quiet time or something or um, but this past week uh, it was cool we did a little family devotional on Psalm 145 with with my daughters 
Uh, my son Jonathan doesn't quite get it yet. He was kind of crawling around and stuff. But Bell and Rocky, uh, the six-year-old and the five-year-old, they got it. And it was really cool. We, ha- we, uh, we had them get out some piece of paper. Um, and I said, you're going to do a project. I said, I want you to draw what you think God looks like. And so they got all excited. Oh, man, this is exciting. This is amazing. We get to do a project for Dad. This is awesome. And so they start drawing, and they both drew kind of like a Santa Claus-looking figure. You know what I mean? Like <laughs> the long beard and, you know, all that stuff. And it was just funny because their imagination, right? Just the, what the, how they see what they think God looks like. And then I said, well, the Bible doesn't tell us what God looks like. But the Bible does tell us what he is like. And so we read Psalm 145, verse 8, which is our main theme that we've been studying, right? For the Lord is gracious and compassionate, slow to anger, and rich in love. And so we said it over and over. And so now they got it as a memory scripture. Bella, what's the Lord? The Lord is gracious and compassionate, you know? (laughs) Slow to anger, abounding, rich in love. And... It was just a really fun kind of devotional that we did with the family, but, but I love that verse and I love that psalm because it just describes who God is. You guys with me here? So parents, that's a little idea for a family devotional if you guys want to do that. Um, many of us, we're going to talk today about being sl- God being slow to anger. Another word for this is the word that's used in, in the New Testament as a, one of the fruits of the Spirit, which is long-suffering meaning a, the, a patience that takes, takes a long time for you to go zero to 60. You know what I'm saying? You understand that term, right, going zero to 60? Some, some, of, us, some of us are like this right here. That's some of us. Some of us, we go zero to 60 in about three seconds, about four seconds, and all of a sudden, you're like a really nice guy, and something just snaps, and you're like, and the Hulk comes out, and everybody's running to their room at your house, and nobody wants to be around you because somebody smelled bad or something like that. I don't know. Whatever sets you off. And um, and so interesting how in our human nature we, we can become like, we can be the Hulk in a matter of seconds. Angry. You know, my daughter Isabella has a tendency to spill things all the time. And she just spills a lot. She's kind of clumsy, you know. And um, I love my daughter, but I've noticed recently that even though it's an accident, it's a mistake, man, I go zero to 60. I'll be like, she'll, I will literally serve her something, and within a second she'll spill it. Oh, come on. Why did you do that? That it was an accident. I know it was an accident. I know it's not your fault. Let me now. Ah, oh, now I got it. I'm like, and Marina looks at me like, what's wrong with you? It was, it was just an accident. It was a mistake. And I realized, even lately, I mean, this, is, this study that we're going to do today, I think, is, has been helpful for me because I realized, man, I, I have been, I, I have the tendency to become the Hulk. On little things in my home. Um, zero to 60 in four seconds. As I studied this idea of long suffering and uh, this fruit of the Spirit and, and the patience, you know, uh, the, the tolerance, I, I couldn't help 
honestly, but remember the fact that this month is Black History Month. And, you know, I recently watched the movie uh, Selma. I don't know if you guys have seen it yet, but a very inspiring movie. And uh, one of the scenes, Dr. King comes in, and uh, he's arrived in Selma, and he's in the hotel lobby, and one, a, a white person uh, wants to greet him, and he goes up kindly to shake his hand, and the guy punches him in the face. And Dr. King just, you know, he doesn't retaliate, he doesn't react, he just kind of, all the guys kind of surround him and take him away, and he's like, wow, I didn't know white people could hit that hard, you know, <laughs> like, that's kind of the, the, I don't know if that's the line, but it was something along those lines. And, uh, and another another scene where where you know they're 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 about to cross the the, the Edmund Pettus uh, bridge, and uh, the, the the troopers come and attack them, and it was all over the news and it's a big deal and, and and beating them and everything like that and they're coming back and these young men are like they're ready to go to fight, and one of the older men is just like listen calm down we have nothing we're gonna what, we're gonna take off our shoes and throw them at them like like we're gonna win this with nonviolence. We're going to win this with kind of this long-suffering. And I'm always, I always stand in awe of just that whole movement uh, because it was so much anger, it was so much injustice. They could have uh, created almost another civil war in a sense. But with the leadership and the inspiration and the, and the, and the example of some of these men, man, they stood their ground and they just they took it. Similar to Jesus, kind of taking the punishment. And without retaliating, without reacting, without going zero to 60 in, in four seconds. And I uh, just, you know, remember this quote here that, um, that Dr. King, I've decided to stick with love. Hate is too great a burden to bear. When there, when, when there is this anger underlying the anger, there, there's, there can be a tendency to have some hatred, either whether it be for yourself or for the situation or whatever. And I just love this quote. This is so powerful. Hate is too great a burden uh, to bear. And I think about God and God's nature, who he is. One of the statements that we talked about a few weeks ago, Hosea, he says, I am God and not a man. And, and I've, I've held on to that. I love that verse because it's so true. We, we try to reason with God as if he were a man that had the same logic that we have, but his logic and his ability and his comprehension, everything is, is beyond us. Because I am God and not a man. And so we're going to read some passages in the Bible today that, that kind of show us God's nature. And then I have two practical things to take away, hopefully will help and encourage us. Um, just to clarify a little bit, the issue is that God, the issue is God is slow to anger. It's not that he doesn't get angry. God gets angry. And he has every right to get angry. It's that he's slow to get angry. Look in your Bibles in Genesis chapter 15. It's this slowness to anger that is amazing. And God chooses this man, Abraham, and he gives, he does a covenant with Abraham. And this is a really interesting statement that he makes. And he tells Abraham, you know, I'm going to make you into a great nation. And all nations will be blessed because of you and all this kind of stuff. And he says in verse 12 in Genesis chapter 15, it says, As the sun was setting, Abram fell into a deep sleep and a thick and dreadful darkness came over him. 
Then the Lord said to him, Know for certain that for 400 years your descendants will be strangers in a country not their own, and that they will be enslaved and mistreated there. He's talking about uh, the Israelites being in Egypt, right? Before Moses and the Red Sea and all that kind of stuff. He says, But I will punish the nation who they serve as slaves, and afterward they will come out with great possessions. You, however, will go to your ancestors in peace and be buried at a good old age. In the fourth generation, your descendants will come back here, for the sin of the Amorites has not yet reached its full measure. Now, I want us to just focus on that one last sentence. You know, God tells Abraham well, he's gonna ha- what's going to happen with his people, and, and he promises this land where the Amorites live. The Amorites, the Hittites, the Canaanites, all those peoples live. And, and, and then when you read the book of Joshua, you see that's when they come back and they take over the land, but God commands them to get rid of all these people. Now, it's interesting that he says, you know, in the fourth generation, your descendants will come back here for the sin of the Amorites has not yet reached its full measure. You know, God could have done this a lot sooner. God could have obliterated the Amorites a lot sooner, but he doesn't. He actually waits till the fourth generation before it goes to beyond, it says here, its full measure. And that's when he brings his people back. So it's interesting. You know, it takes you and I, we go zero to 60 in four seconds. God goes zero to 60 in four generations. It's an interesting way to think about this, his slowness to anger. He could have done it right there. He already knows what's going to happen. He could have just done it right there. Let's speed up the process. But no, I'm going to go ahead and wait four generations before the Amorites. And this is God's grace. Again. If you're an Amorite, you're like, wow, thank God he waited four generations. My generation passed already. But you see what I'm saying? God, slow to anger. A few chapters later, we see an interesting conversation between God and Abraham. and it has to do with the city of Sodom and Gomorrah. And uh, God is like, man, I'm headed up to here with the wickedness of Sodom and Gomorrah, and I'm going to destroy those cities because of just the amount of wickedness. And, and Abraham decides to reason with God. Genesis chapter 18 and verse 23 says, Then Abraham approached him and said, Will you sweep away the righteous with the wicked? What if there are 50 righteous people in the city? Will you really sweep it away and not spare the place for the sake of the 50 righteous people in it? Far be it from you to do such a thing, to kill the righteous with the wicked, treating the righteous and the wicked alike. Far be it from you. Will not the judge of all the earth do right? And so the Lord said, if I find 50 righteous people in the city of Sodom, I will spare the whole place for their sake. Then Abraham spoke up again. Now that I have been so bold as to speak to the Lord, though I am nothing but dust and ashes, what if the number of the righteous is five less than 50? Will you destroy the whole city for lack of five people? If I find 45 there, he said, I will not destroy it. And the story keeps on going until, I mean, Abraham is bold with God. Well, what if there's 35? Well, what if there's 25? What about 20? What about 15? What about, and he gets down to 10. And God is still, I mean, you got to understand, God started off with, this, this, this city is done. And now Abraham is reasoning with God. He said, God, but, but come on, you wouldn't spit. Okay, fine, if I find 10 righteous people. And then what happens in chapter 19? He can't find that one. See, God knew what was happening in Sodom, but he was willing to work with Abraham. It's like, okay, Abraham, I'll work with you. 
Can you imagine God? I, I know what's happening. I know what's going to happen, but I'll work with you, Abraham, because I want you to understand my nature. I'm slow to anger, rich in love. And he still spared some people from the city of Sodom. He spared Abraham's nephew Lot and that whole family. And they were able to escape from the city. But if you read chapter 19, you'll be amazed at, what, at the amount of wickedness in that city. And you'll realize, huh, that does make sense that God would want to do that. Um, even if you don't agree with his logic, at the end of the day, he is God. He is not a man. As the Israelites are taken into I- Egypt, and they're enslaved, and Moses comes. I've been reading this in my, in my uh, Times with God lately, just uh, about the Exodus. And Moses comes in, and, and uh, the plagues, you know, the, remember the story about the plagues and everything that's happening uh, for God to show his mighty power uh, to the Israelites and to the Egyptians, that they would know that he is God, right? And, and it's interesting, this one little statement he makes in Exodus chapter 9 and verse 15 I think it's on here, yeah, chapter 9, verse 15. In the middle of one of the plagues that he's about to send to get the Israelites out of Egypt, God says, for by now I could have stretched out my hand and struck you and your people with a plague that would have wiped you off the earth. He says, but, but I have raised you up for this very purpose that I might show you my power and that my name might be proclaimed in all the earth. And so I see God, you see God like, Guys, I could have wiped you off the face of the earth with one plague. But no, I'm going to keep you around because where did Joseph take Mary to escape with Jesus when Herod's about to kill all the babies? He goes to Egypt. Can you imagine if there was no Egypt? Where would Joseph and Mary have gone? And yet, God's bigger picture, right? God's thinking already about Jesus. God's thinking about the salvation. God's thinking about this stuff. He says, I'm slow to anger, rich in love. You and I might not, you and I might not see it that way, but you and I, who are we? You weren't there. I wasn't there. Well, God, I don't really agree with your um, assessment of the Egyptian culture. Well, you weren't there. What do you have to, what do, you have to do with it? Why would I have to argue with God in regards to how he's handling his bigger picture? Aren't we all here because of Jesus anyway? It's amazing. God, in the midst of the plagues, has grace on the Egyptians. So I'm not going to wipe you from the face of the earth, but I will do all these other things because I want people to know who I am. As the Israelites are out in the desert, turn your Bibles with me to Numbers chapter 14. Um, Numbers chapter 14, this is really interesting. Um, It gets to the point, God hears so much complaining. The Israelites have escaped Egypt, they've crossed the Red Sea, they're in the desert, God has provided for them, fed them, taken care of them, and there's constant grumbling, there's constant complaining, there's constant, uh, you know, Uh, rebellion. And God is like, he's gone zero to 60. He's like ready to be done with these people. And in verse 11 here in chapter 14, it says, the Lord said to Moses, how long will these people treat me with contempt? How long will they refuse to believe in me in spite of all the miraculous signs I've performed among them? 
I will strike them down with a plague and destroy them, but I will make you into a nation greater and stronger than they. But Moses said to the Lord, then the Egyptians will hear about it. By your power, you brought these people up from among them, and they will tell the inhabitants of this land about it. They have already heard that you, O Lord, are with these people, and that you, O Lord, have been seen face to face, and that your cloud stays over them, and that you go before them in a pillar of cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night. If you put these people to death all at one time, the nations who have heard this report about you will say the Lord was not able to bring these people into the land he promised them on oath, so he slaughtered them in the desert." Now may the Lord's strength be displayed just as you have declared. The Lord is slow to anger, abounding in love and forgiving sin and rebellion. Yet he does not leave the guilty unpunished. He punishes the children for the sin of their fathers for the, to the third and fourth generation. In accordance with your great love, forgive the sin of these people just as you have pardoned them now from the time they have left Egypt until now. And the Lord replied, I have forgiven them as you asked. Nevertheless, as surely as I live and as surely as the glory of the Lord fills the whole earth, not one of the men who saw my glory and the miraculous signs I performed in Egypt and the desert, but who disobeyed and tested me ten times, not one of them will ever see the land I promised on oath to their forefathers. No one who has treated me with contempt will ever see it, but because my servant Caleb has a different spirit and follows me wholeheartedly, I will bring him into the land he went to and his descendants will inherit it. And he kind of talks about the plan for the whole generation. So a whole generation grows up that gets to inherit the land, but the moms and dads and grandmas and grandpas don't get to have it because of their disobedience. It says, ten times they've treated me with contempt. Over and over, God had the opportunity to wipe them out with a plague and make Moses into a great nation. And he even threatens that, and yet he's willing to listen to Moses. And Moses convinces him, not even convinces him, just kind of talks to him. And, and God just says, you know what? I'm angry, and this is what's going to happen because of my anger, but I've been slow to anger. I've been slow to go zero to 60. And therefore, I'm not instead of wiping them out, I'm just going to let them wander around the desert for 40 years and see what happens. Their children will inherit the land. I... I look at this stuff in the Old Testament and there was so much of Israel's disobedience and rebellion, yet God, when he could have wiped them from the face of the earth, continues to forgive and provide salvation through, through an Israelite, right? At the end of the day, he provides salvation through an Israelite, Jesus Christ. Psalm 78 kind of sums up this whole thing. And uh, if you look in Psalm 78 with me, in verse 32, Um, the writer of the psalm is kind of giving a, a, an oral history, a written history of the, of the Israelite nation. And Psalm 78, verse 32, he says, In spite of all this, they kept on sinning. In spite of his wonders, they did not believe. So he ended their days in futility and their years in terror. Whenever God slew them, they would, they would seek him. They eagerly turned to him again. They remembered that God was their rock, that God Most High was their redeemer. redeemer. But when they would flatter him, but then they would flatter him with their mouths, lying to him with their tongues. Their hearts were not loyal to him. They were not faithful to his covenant, yet he was merciful. He forgave their iniquities and did not destroy them. Time after time, he restrained his anger and did not stir up his full wrath. He remembered that they were but flesh. 
a passing breeze that does not return. Time and time again, the psalmist writes, God restrains his anger. Think of, think of a parent with their child. You will get angry. You may even blow up in your anger, but you're not willing to destroy your kid and wipe him from the face of the earth because of your anger. Well, hope not. But God is, God is that way with his people time and time and time again. He's willing to forgive. And so we have two responses. You guys with me here? Number one, repent. God's slowness to anger leads us to repentance. Look at these verses here. 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 8. But do not forget this one thing, dear friends. Lord, a day is like a thousand years, and a thousand years are like a day. The Lord is not slow in keeping his promise, as some understand slowness. Instead, he is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. Next verse here, Romans chapter 2, verse 4. Or do you show contempt for the riches of his kindness, forbearance, and patience, not realizing that God's kindness is intended to lead you to repentance? Our response to God's slowness to anger, according to these verses, is repentance. I think too many times we take our sin or inaction like, we can see how far we can get without God noticing. And we think we can get away with it or, or just show up to church on Sunday and that'll fix everything. And so my question to you is, how long? How long will you reject God's kindness? How many times does he need to get your attention? How much longer will you take advantage of God's patience and his kindness in your life. There may come a day when it will be too late. And then someone that you don't know is praying for you on your behalf. They're reasoning with God. But God, just give that guy one more chance, God. Give that girl one more opportunity. And he's holding out. But you're really willing to test him? And be opposed by him? Really? If you've been visiting with us for the past few weeks or past few months, and you've been kind of studying the Bible and kind of figuring out, like, do I want to follow Jesus wholeheartedly? Do I really want to be a disciple of Christ? Do, is this really what I want for my life, or do I just like the, the singing on Sundays and the extra hugs and some good people? I want to challenge you. If you've not made a decision to follow Christ, if you, or if you haven't been to church in a while, this is your first time, and you're starting to come back to God, and man, God's kindness and His patience with you is to lead you to repentance. So, repent! Repent! If you've been in sin... 
unconfessed and you haven't been open and honest about it, God's kindness, his slowness to anger, should lead you to repentance. So, repent! It's very simple. Oh, but Reuben, you don't understand my situation. You're right, I don't. But God understands your situation. And God is still patient with you. God is still kind with you. God is still waiting for you to repent. Because he doesn't want everyone to perish, but to come to repentance. So, repent. Too many of us are so stubborn. We're so stubborn. We think we know what's better for us. And we think that just coming to church on Sunday is going to fix it. Jesus will fix it. Jesus will heal it. But only when we decide to repent, to change, to be different. So I want to challenge you. God has been very kind to you. God has been very patient with you. God has allowed you to come to our worship here for many weeks, for many months. God has allowed you to study the Bible with many people that are praying for you on your behalf, and yet you're still playing around with, should I follow or should I not? God has been very kind. He could have obliterated you a long time ago. He's just kind of waiting for you because he is slow to anger. He goes zero to 60 in four generations. So if it's not you, maybe your great-great-grandkids. But why mess them up when you could do it right now? Number two, second response, and lastly here, slow to anger with others. James chapter 1, verse 19, says, My dear brothers and sisters, take note of this. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. Because human anger does not produce the righteousness that God desires. Next verse here. Ephesians chapter 4. In your anger do not sin. So it doesn't mean you're not going to be angry. Anger is not a sin. It says in your anger, when you're angry, don't sin. Do not let the sun go down while you're still angry. And do not give the devil a foothold. Get rid of all bitterness, rage, and anger, brawling, and slander, along with every form of malice. Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as in Christ, God forgave you. When it comes to relationships and conflict resolution, or just communication in general, the issue is not trying to make your point. The issue is seeking in humility to understand and being quick to listen. This requires a lot more self-control and humility than we think. In the heat of the moment, when I'm in an argument with my wife, I am not thinking about this verse. And yet the Holy Spirit within me is trying to put it at the forefront of my heart and my mind, and my sinful nature is trying to like shove it away. Yet I'm still held responsible by God to obey this passage. I think what happens in our relationships as followers of Christ is that we bring in a lot of hurt and missed expectations from the past into our current interactions and relationships with one another. And instead of beginning with trust, instead of beginning with assuming the best 
and giving one another the benefit of the doubt, we start with mistrust. We start with assuming the worst. This guy's out to get me, so let me fight back. This sister looked at me wrong, so let me fight back. We start there instead of, I trust her because she's got the Holy Spirit. I trust him because he's got the Holy Spirit. I know that he has his best in mind for me, and I love him. I love her. Satan is lying to me and accusing me and doesn't want me to trust, doesn't want me to be open. And when we begin with mistrust, when we begin with not giving one another the benefit of the doubt, we go to zero, we go zero to 60 in four seconds instead of obeying the Scripture and being what the Scripture says, slow to speak, quick to listen, and slow to anger. Just this past week in my life, I'll share a little story here. In my life this past week, I had a, you know, we're having a conversation, uh, my wife and I with um, uh, Steve and Jackie Marici. They lead our region, and uh, we have, you know, church in Westside and South Bay and the Spanish-speaking services, the DL, uh, our group, and so they kind of oversee the, the, the region, and they're in our lives kind of helping us as ministers and uh, training us and stuff like that. And um, we had a kind of a robust discussion, if you will, and um, where I, my perspective on something was challenged. And what I did in that moment is I, I was bringing a past experience and a missed expectation into this conversation. And I was communicating with them through that filter. And what it did was it started getting me going zero to 60. I was about at 45. <laughs> I wasn't at 60 yet. I was about 45. But I was to the point where I, when in my communication, in the way that I was speaking, my hands were shaking because I was, like, angry. I was starting to, to become the Hulk. I started getting defensive, protecting my perspective, protecting my point, and fighting back. I really appreciate Steve because he kind of kind of dis- dispelled all this by appealing to our friendship. He said, why don't you just trust me, dude? Why don't you trust our friendship? It, 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 it hurts that you would assume the worst, not know that we love you guys and believe in you. I mean, and it just kind of broke down the walls. Do you know what I'm saying? But I think a lot of us can go there in our communication with one another. As soon as we get challenged on something, as soon as our perspective is challenged, we build up the wall. Well, you don't understand because back in the day, 10 years ago, this is what happened. And so because that happened 10 years ago, that's the way it's going to happen every single time the situation happens. I know because I know everything. Right? I mean, this is how we beget. And... um, Instead of making our points, we need to seek to understand before being understood. This is a marriage, little nugget for married couples. Seek to understand before being understood. In the heat of the moment, man, that flies out the window sometimes. And all you care about is your point. Because your point is correct. End the way. 
The only way that this happened. And yet the scripture is so clear. Slow to speak. Quick to listen. Slow to anger. Treating one another with compassion and kindness because God treated you that way. You guys with me here? So, teenagers, I got something for you. Teenagers, how about instead of coming back with some smart aleck thing to say to your parents, what if you decided to obey the scripture and put yourself in your parents' shoes and seek to understand them and be quick to listen, slow to speak? You know, in all of what's happening in your mind and in your body and everything like that, you want to fight back, and, but your mom and dad don't understand you. They don't understand me. They don't get me. Well, your mom and dad were teenagers at one point. They may have forgotten about it, but they probably get it. But what if instead of you fighting back, what if you just put this into practice? Okay, okay, Father, let me understand your perspective. Dads, how much would you love that? Oh, a healthy dialogue with my teenager? Amazing. Now, I know, I know that this is very difficult, but man, I'm telling you what, our responsibility is to obey the scripture. My responsibility as a minister is to make sure that we obey the scripture. Despite our emotions, despite our backgrounds, the scripture is always clear. Be slow to speak, quick to listen, slow to anger. And in your anger, you can get angry, teenager. Do not sin. Parents, can I talk to you, mom and dad? Parents, what if instead of focusing on the knuckleheaded reaction of your teenager, you focus more on yourself? And in maturity, parents, have a healthy conversation with your teenager or your preteen at that, at that point. Shoot, I feel like sometimes with my six-year-old, i got to have a mature conversation. It sounds easier said than done, but man, sometimes parents, we're the ones that mess up the whole situation just because we focus on what? one thing. Yeah, but you, but you don't own it, but you, but you, but you. Oh, stop focusing on you. Focus on, okay, how can I communicate this? We need a timeout. Let's have a timeout. Go pray. I'll go pray. Go play your video game. I'll go play my video game. We'll come back and we'll talk. Are you guys with me here? Wife. Wife. What if instead of assuming the worst in your husband, oh, he always does that. Oh, she, he always thinks that. He always says that. Oh, he's never going to change. What if instead you obeyed the Scripture and God's Spirit to give him the benefit of the doubt and assume and express love for one another? Sisters, are you with me here on this? Sisters, sisters, you have a responsibility to obey the God's Spirit in you and His Scriptures, not a responsibility to, I'm just going to keep it real because this is how I feel. No. Your feelings are real. Your feelings are legitimate. 
But man, if you could just purify them in the filter of God's word, my goodness, what an incredible conversation. All the brothers are like, amen. Well, husband, father, let me talk to you for a hot minute. I'll tell you, being slow to anger as a man is one of the biggest challenges, especially as a man. We go zero to 60, 60, whoa, (laughs) Woo! bring it back, baby, bring it back. We go, (laughs) we go zero to 60 in three seconds. Our wives maybe go zero to 60 in five seconds, but we go zero to 60 in like two or three. And our children suffer. Our wives suffer. God has been patient and slow to anger with you and me. I need to be that in my household. Husband, what if next time, instead of shutting down and just leaving or turning on the TV and ignoring, what if you entered the chaos of your household a little bit and led it back to God? What if you enter the chaos that your wife is feeling and all the emotions that are there, what if you enter that and just say, okay, let, let me try to help her come close to God. What if instead of focusing on everything that she did and, or didn't do, you focus on what you could have done better? Slow to speak, quick to listen, slow to get angry. Brothers and sisters, I think in our relationships with one another, we've got to trust the Holy Spirit a lot more. Assume the best. It's not naive. It's not this like, oh, well, everybody's good. No, it's not naive. It's, it's faith. Because if I have a brother in Christ that has an issue with me, I've got to trust they have the Holy Spirit as much as I do. So we can work through this. We can talk this out. If we need somebody else to help us, we can work through it. Because we have the Holy Spirit. And at the end of the day, we want the same thing. We both want to make it to heaven. We want our friends to make it. So let's obey the scripture, put it into practice, and in our anger, not sin. Praise God for his incredible nature. His richness in love. His graciousness and compassion. His slowness to anger. Praise God that He will not treat us as our sins deserve, but that because of His kindness and nature, He will give us every opportunity to repent. Praise God that He showed us His plan and His love for Jesus and was willing to give up His Son so that you and I could have a shot at being right with Him. Praise God for his word that provides direction and comfort and encouragement and praise him that he has given his people his spirit that gives us the strength to obey his commands. Praise God that we have one another and that despite the ways in which we can hurt one another or sin against each other, he always reminds us of how much he has forgiven us And therefore, praise God that we can forgive and love one another. And that the whole world would know that we are his people because of our love for one another. Praise God.
in all things, in all circumstances, in all victory, in all difficulty, praise God. Let the people all come together, all the nations, all races, to worship and praise our God. Gracious and compassionate, slow to anger, rich in love. And as the psalmist says in Psalm 145, verse 21, my mouth will speak in praise of the Lord. Let every creature praise his holy name forever and ever. And the church says, Amen. Amen. Let's stand together and we'll sing a closing song.